Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 8th of February 2013. And as usual, I always suggest that newcomers to the broadcast go into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll find lots and lots of audios to download where I go through the system that you're born into, the one that is very misleading. In fact, it goes to an awful lot of trouble to make sure you're indoctrinated very young into seeing the world in a fake way, actually. But all your friends are indoctrinated at the same time, and you all think you're quite sane. But you have no idea of the amount of psychiatry, psychology, behaviorists, and so on that work with neuroscientists and marketers to bring you up in the way that you're Owners, basically, the ones who own the planet, want you to behave and how to, to reason through things. It's all been done long ago. It's a perfect science. And they give you your opinions. They update you in political correctness when it suits them. And you part the way you're supposed to part. And you don't think for yourselves. So I go through the history of this organization that didn't want just to take over the world and to take over all of its resources, which they've pretty well done, but also to bring in this scientifically controlled society, which they, of course, would dominate. And even eventually down the road, they create new kinds of humans to serve them better. So you're living through all of this today and all the, the, the massive uh, deaths you're seeing with uh, cancers galore were all planned that way to take you down. In fact, they had meetings back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, one of them actually said at one of the top meetings that they, that they might as well die of cancer. And, uh, of course, they, they knew that because they'd given you cancer vaccines, at least cancer cells in the vaccines you were given. So you're, you're taught to trust, and everything is about trust, and, and we're kept like children who trust the parents. The parents, unfortunately, are not our, not our parents at all. They're uh, a kind of foreign lot, you might say, uh, but they're very, very clever in what they do. So help yourself to the website, and you can also get transcripts, remember, for download, for print-up if you want to, of all the sites listed at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Number two, you bring me to you. You can keep me going by buying the books, discs, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. I don't ask for uh, for money from advertisers. If I, I could, I could be sitting pretty, but I don't. And uh, it's up to you, the listeners, as I say, to support me by getting the books and discs. So from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders from the post office. You can send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And straight donations are seriously welcome as we go through these hyperinflationary times, the big push for austerity, of course, all planned that way. And most focuses say don't know. The, the, the news is not there to, to explain anything to you. It's actually to guide you into the way they want you to think about things, or rather not think about other things too, because you, you, you're, you're really taught. They're telling you all there is to know, and of course that's far, far, far from the truth. Uh, it's all you need to know. And often it's not the truth at all. Very often it's not the truth at all. Actually, it's probably the, most of it is, is that way. You're going through wars, perpetual wars, is those who have conquered you in your own countries 
go after the remaining countries to get them onto the central banking system, to plunder their countries of all the resources, and they get you to pay it all in, in blood, sweat and tears and taxes. It's quite simple. And once that's all done, they wring you out like a sponge. They sell off all your natural resources as well because, again, they're international corporations and you are left in the squalor that's left as you die off. That's a big plan, folks. That really is a big, big plan. And I mentioned yesterday, too, but the massive fracking all over the states and the big push to use your tax money to get it all up and running and the big cry that America must be independent of importing energy. Now they're exporting your gas to places like India and other countries across the world so much for any national fervor. You see, they don't believe in nations except when they need you to go off and fight for them. That's when they wave the flag. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And tonight too, I want to just get this in quick because I've talked quite a few times about Katerina Jaliva, who has been battling to have her son back again. And they've extended this main trials, real trials this time, after all the pre-trials, countless pre-trials. And they've extended it to, to February the 12th. So hopefully that'll be the last one and the final decision will be made. So those who've been following it, over all this time, about a year and a half now, can phone in their courts, and I'll put up a link tonight with an article uh, written by uh, Action Alert, it says here, and Activist Post, to do with it. It gives you the addresses uh, or and then places to phone, and the judge, Mary Noonan, and uh, the clerk as well, Judge Mary Noonan's, or Judy, uh, Noonan's clerk, has uh, all the numbers here as well, and you can phone them up and tell them to do the right thing and tell them to make the right decision. Remember, this is supposedly the final one. You think the last last week there, the the, the last uh, day they were there, it took nine hours. They weren't finished. It's, it's amazing the amount of money uh, that uh, she's had to put into this with all the pre-trials, and then this, and that then that who pays the rest? It's the taxpayers. This is one one case. That's why they make these. You know, the legal system loves taking charge of us and falling with falling. They, they deal with all the fallout from the defunct system we have now. The, the deliberately induced chaos that destroys the culture and everything else. And this is costing a lot of cash. But anyway, phone up the courts and you can tell them to do the right thing. And be very polite, remember, but tell them that, that you're, you're watching. Be firm about it. You're watching. Lots of folk are watching what's happening here. And I'll put this link up tonight. It fills you in on the latest little interview with uh, Katarina and to see what's happened so far. But uh, next Tuesday is uh, February the, the uh, 12th, and hopefully you can phone up early in the morning and let them all know what you think of it all, too. So I'll put that up tonight. Now... People have been trained, like, like children, as I say. We've seen so many articles, I've read lots here, where vaccine fraud has been exposed. And never mind all the people who die with different vaccines and children too and all the rest of it. And yet they keep telling you every year it's safe, perfectly safe, perfectly safe. And this article goes back uh, a little bit, a little ways. And um, it tells you that uh, the American vaccine fraud was exposed. It says, 
by two Merck virologists. They came out, they worked in a company, and the company faked mumps vaccine efficacy results for over a decade. For 10 years, they lied that it, that it actually worked. And it says, according to two Merck scientists who filed a False Claims Act complaint in 2010, a complaint which has just now been unsealed, the vaccine manufacturer Merck knowingly falsified its mumps and vaccine test data Spike blood samples with animal antibodies. This is one of the jokes that they do. That there are lots of other um, um, serums I've read before. Sold the vaccine that actually promoted mumps and measles outbreaks and ripped off governments and consumers who bought the vaccine thinking it was 95% effective as advertised. And I'll put this up tonight. And also has a, a link to the, the False Claims Act document on it too. So according to Stephen uh, Kraling and Joan uh, Wolchowski, this is both former Merck virologists, the Merck company engaged in all of the following behavior. Knowingly falsified its mumps vaccine test to fabricate a 95% efficacy rate. In order to do this, it spiked the, the, the blood test with animal antibodies in order to artificially inflate the appearance of immune system antibodies. And it says... Um, they also added uh, the bodies to blood samples and so on. And, and it said here, uh, Merck that then used the falsified trial results to swindle the U.S. government out of hundreds of millions of dollars for a vaccine that does not provide adequate immunization. The, the, the vaccine fraud has actually contributed to the continuing of mumps across America, causing more children to become infected with mumps. This is, this is what Natural News has been reporting for years. Vaccines are actually formulated to keep the outbreaks going because it's great for business. And what a deal. I mean, the government gets these 10-year in advance contracts. Well, what a salesman from Merck would get a commission on that, eh? Anyway, Merck used its false claims of 95% effectiveness to monopolize the vaccine market and eliminate possible competitors. And it says this fraud has been going on since the 1990s. As his uh, testing of Merck's vaccine was never done against real-world mumps viruses in the wild. Instead, test results were simply falsified to achieve the desired outcome. They do this all the time with all these vaccines, folks. And the entire uh, fraud took place with the knowledge, authority, and approval of Merck's senior management. And the scientists witnessed firsthand improper testing and data falsification, which Merck engaged to artificially inflate the vaccine's findings. The U.S. government chose to ignore the 2010 False Claims Act. This is rather than taking action in the False Claims Act, the U.S. government simply ignored it, thereby protecting Merck's market monopoly instead of properly serving justice. This demonstrates a conspiracy of fraud between the U.S. government, the FDA regulators, and the vaccine industry. Well, the, the FDA regulation bunch is just a, most of them have worked in the same companies and are put in to the FDA and then back into the, to, to, to uh, these main companies once they finish there. They go back in like a yo-yo in and out. So you're, you're like in a form of fascism, you understand, and that's why the government's going to do nothing about it. And it says, Chatham Primary Care sues Merck for Sherman Act monopolization in the breach of warranty violation of consumer protection laws. So I'll put this whole, whole article up tonight. It's much longer than that. There's lots of, uh, of links to it as well as to what's been happening about this. For anybody who cares, most folk don't really care. Number two, if they give you mumps around the age of puberty for boys, they can, they can actually sterilize you for life. That's it. And here's another one here too. 
and this was from 2010, to show you, again, I'm so sick of them always. Uh, they know the public have a short memory. I want to do massive advertising campaigns to go and get your shots. Folk forget it immediately and away they go. This is to do with public sector workers who had to get shot, supposedly, by their bosses. This is fury at vaccine scandal. Hundreds of public sector workers who claim their lives have been wrecked by vaccines say the government has abandoned them. This is up to 200 doctors, nurses, firefighters, prison officers, police officers, forensic scientists, and bin men. They actually, in Britain, even the bin men must get them. Say they have developed serious physical and mental health problems after injections essential for their work over the past 10 years. All have given up their jobs and some are now 60% disabled. Last night in March, they're, they're out to miss out on payouts, uh, prompting fewer amongst campaigners. More than 150 members of Parliament have lent their support demand for a better deal for the victims. Olivia Price of the Vaccine Victim Support Group said, These people have given their lives in the service of looking after others, and this is how they're repaid. They've, they've lost their careers and are, are a burden to their families, and it's very degrading. And frontline health workers, social workers, prison officers and the binmen have to be vaccinated against hepatitis B as a condition of their employment. as to protect them from contracting potentially fatal conditions from infected blood through needle injuries or physical assaults. Although they're not legally forced to have the vaccinations, without them they're not allowed to work. Isn't that the wonderful way they do it? Eh? You can actually take this or there's the door, you know. Experts believe injections cause the health problems, which include chronic fatigue, muscle pain, that's deep muscle pain, weakness and cognitive problems because illnesses develop soon after vaccination. In one case, Steve Robinson, previously fit 40-year-old father of three, was vaccinated six years ago against hepatitis A, B and polio, tetanus and diphtheria as part of his work as a forensic specialist. Two days later, he became ill and developed muscle weakness and chronic fatigue. Mr. Robinson from Morpeth, Northumberland, is now 60% disabled, with an industrial injuries tribunal put down to the vaccinations. He's also been diagnosed with macrophagic myofasciitis, a disabling condition which may be caused by the aluminum in the vaccines. He also suffers from problems that cause him to fall with no warning. There's no warning and no comes on beforehand. He says... Before I had the vaccinations, I was a very healthy, uh, I was a keen mountain biker, enjoyed walking and keeping fit. Now I have very poor, poor mobility and walk with sticks, constantly tired. In up to 10 out of 200 cases, government officials have already ruled on the balance of probabilities that the vaccines caused the damage. Campaigners see these victims should be entitled to payouts and so on. But the fact is, you see, they're still going at it, folks. And it's the same, not just for people who work in those industries, it's the same with you lot as well. You understand, the world is run by deception. Your whole life has been run by deception. And these big corporations are the same corporations that have, you have to go to the histories of them. They all worked during World War II, for instance, with creating diseases uh, for warfare purposes. Huh? Think about that. And you understand the big take down for population today, the big push for reduction of population. Look at the sterility that's all over the place. Look at the massive cancer increases. You better stop using your heads. You've got to start using your heads. You can't, only you can make decisions that affect you folks. Don't let experts and big marketing blitzes do it for you. Now, China are changing their ID policies, it says here. This is a massive push across the world, because once again, the big uh, 
companies involved in, in, in IDs and ID cards and biometrics are really, it's a big market now, they're really pushing it all. But they start off in some countries and then end up in yours because that's where it's all supposed to go. So China is changing their, their policies. People in China may have to use their IDs for Internet access. Not only that, but after the new year, this is now China will be required, uh, requiring some cities to produce fingerprinted IDs as well. Well, these new measures are meant to keep the Internet and identities more secure. This is what I always tell you. Some are saying that the new policies may be a bit overboard. Those who oppose the new Internet policy are saying it may be an attempt to silence political speech online. Of course it will be. However, according to New York Daily News, the Chinese government is requiring people to register with their full names in an effort to keep the Internet healthier, more cultured and safer for everyone, which means safer for the government. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and in the US, it says American senators are pushing for biometrics. Well, I mentioned before that I think it was Wendy Mesley who had a program in Canada for quite a few years, and in the 90s she had a program on this, where she even had some of her staff and herself go through one of these quick passes in the States, one of these special cards you can get made up by the cops and so on. And it was much like what's coming out today. It's an ups in the 90s, as I say. And she talked to the guy who was the CEO of the big company that was going to make these ID cards. And she says, what makes you think the public will take them? And the guy, just like the last article already, says, well, they'll be given no option. Same kind of thing if you're working for vaccines. You either take them or, you know, that's it, you're out. So be given no option to, to live in the system. And remember, too, when you're conquered as a herd, you're always, you know, they always brand the cattle anyway. So that's basically it. So American senators push for biometrics. And it says John McCain and Chuck Schumer have said their framework for immigration reform could require biometric information to check employment status. Now, that's their, their excuse for it as immigration, but... It says, during a political playbook breakfast, McCain was asked if he was in favour of a super social security card that would have some sort of biometric thing like a fingerprint, to which McCain said, I'm for it. And it says, aptly, the Huffington Post all suggest that McCain and Schumer's uh, proposals sound similar to Obama's call in the immigration reform outline for a fraud-resistant, tamper-resistant social security card, as well as new methods to authenticate identity. A recent biometric research note indicates the U.S. electoral process could also benefit from a biometric solution, including mention of an ID smart identity card adoption. And then it says, another biometric research note anticipates the market for electronic identity cards in the U.S. to reach $5.2 billion by 2015. These are all links to, I'll put them all up tonight at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. Reported by Time Magazine 2010, Schumer and South Carolina Republican Lindsey Graham presented an immigration bill to Obama, which included issuing a biometric idea to all uh, working Americans, calling it an enhanced social security card. There have been many recent deployments of the kind of electronic smart cards for national identity in the past couple of years. Recently, the Republic of Arj- uh, Azerbaijan uh, selected 
Trub for its national ID program. Perhaps uh, most notably in India, the Unique Identity Authority has been working to capture the biometrics of all of India's population and distribute national Aadhaar cards, are called Aadhaar cards. So I'll put this up tonight. It's definitely coming, folks, too. And also multiple factors contributing to growth of iris biometric markets. And the global industry analysis predicts that the global market for iris biometrics will reach 1.5 billion by 2018. This is just for the iris type, with technology advances and expanding application areas driving that growth. In this new report called Iris Biometrics, a global strategic business report, like the global part, GIE had found that this form of biometric recognition is starting to see a lot of growth due to its low failure to error rates and high accuracy levels. While market growth has traditionally come from the technology adoption in the travel and immigration segments and physical access control applications, its potential for growth in high-end security and access control applications GIA predicts that national ID programs, banking, that was always part of the plan, and financial services and systems and access control industries will help drive this growth. Industries where accurate fingerprints are more difficult to collect, such as biomedical labs, coal mines and food processing, are also expected to adopt iris recognition for access control. So it's going to be across the board for everyone in every single area of life, and that's been the agenda for a long, long time. Also, too, uh, a little article here says, push for assisted suicide comes to Connecticut. It's used at euthanasia, this is what they, they don't want to use the word. Anyway, it says, a push for legalization of physician-assisted suicide is underway in at least three northeastern states, including Connecticut, where proponents say they see strong support for allowing doctors to prescribe mentally competent, uh, dying individuals with the medications needed to take their own lives. So I'll put this up tonight, too. It's going to be standard. You understand, too, the, it's a big push in other countries to, to simply get you killed off when it's time to collect your pension. And I'm not kidding about that, folks. It, these guys at the top don't give a damn about how you feel about anything. They have no sympathy with you whatsoever, no empathy with you at all, any more than you have with an ant. And I'm not kidding about that. But they always use this type of spiel to, to make you, the tears come, oh, the poor souls, why not do it? Well, once you put that into the hands of government that has political policies and social policies and agendas, forget it, folks. It goes elsewhere. On December the 8th, it says, uh, 2012, Citizen and Immigration Canada published a proposed regulation that will authorize the collection and use of biometric data from certain foreign nationals, I think they would do that in the States too, who apply for a temporary resident visa, study permit or work permit. Biometrics is a measurement of an individual's unique physical characteristics, such as fingerprints, facial image, and applicant's identity can be established through biometrics due to the uniqueness of these identifiers. So from 2013, temporary resident visa, study permit, work permit applicants from certain visa-required countries and territories seeking to enter Canada will be required to have their biometric information uh, collected overseas before arriving in Canada. Canadian citizens and permanent residents will not be subject to the proposed regulations. So everything's moving up, moving up for the future, which is here really, isn't it? It's amazing too. Everything's about the way something is presented to you because you're not supposed to think. Most folk don't think they take the presentation. I'll explain this when I come back from this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. Now, presentation is awfully important to do with headlines because it's given you the impression of how to feel about the story at the very beginning. It says, dogs microchipping scheme welcomed. That's all it says. Is that by the dog? The dog's welcoming it? I don't think so. But it says here, in Britain, England, it says that some animal charities... You know how these charities are all the same, run by the same foundations. Vets and union, well, vets love this stuff because they'll get money for injecting them in. And union leaders have welcomed moves to make it compulsory for all dogs in England to be microchipped. Now, they, they brought that out before. They, they gave a lot of dogs it to nick dogs in with cancers because the cancers uh, arise around this massive, in, this inflammatory object is stuck under their skin, you see. So they get cancer. Long-term irritation causes cancer. But they don't mention that here, of course. So the government said the idea would help. It would help. I love this. I'll have how they put all this stuff down. It would help reunite owners with lost or stolen pets, as well as improving the welfare of dogs. How's it going to improve the welfare of dogs? And the ministers also announced plans to extend legal protection over dog attacks to cover incidents on private property. And it says the change will be a boost for postmen and women and women health visitors and others who call it private addresses but have not been covered by the law if they are bitten by a dog. This is, this is an excuse for given. And Environment Secretary Owen Parkson said it's ludicrous that in a nation of dog lovers, thousands of dogs are roaming the streets or stuck in kennels because the owner cannot be tracked down. See? So he's determined to put an end to this and ease the pressure on charities and councils to find new homes for these dogs. It's all about the welfare of animals, you understand. Remember the big push today, too, is to eliminate domestic pets. There's a massive push for getting rid of cats because they're pretending that they're killing all the birds, even though I read the article a few weeks ago that the Ministry of Agriculture in the U.S., and Canada, too, I'm sure, and Britain, under getting lobbied by the big seed boys, Monsanto's and the big agribusinesses, are poisoning off millions of the birds every year deliberately because they say it takes their seeds away from the, the fields and reduces their crop. That's what's killing them, folks. Not that. There's another reason they want to get rid of all your pets as well. So I'll put this link up tonight to this awful one here. And how do they make you comply? Well, dog owners find, find a, uh, there's got a 500 pounds fine if you fail to microchip the pets, you see. And uh, the government Wednesday announced that all dogs within, uh, well in future should be microchipped to make it easier to trace them owners. And so you're going to find 500 pounds if you don't comply with it. That's the power of the purse. And it's wonderful, isn't it? If you, you're the maker of these microchips and that's what you want a sale, just like the vaccine industry, you just go to the government, give them, lobby them, you know, cash under the table and they bring a law out and they guarantee to sell your product. Isn't that wonderful? Also tonight, I'll put up uh, uh, Mr. Farage at the EU Parliament's talking about how the EU is no more, no better than a banana republic, and it just makes up its rules as it goes along to suit itself. 
And it's not a bad little interview, but, uh, you know, we'd laugh at it if nothing else. It won't change anything because it's, it's written on stone. It has to be this European Union and the, uh, the destruction of all contemporary cultures that made it up. That's the real reason for it, too. And also, you understand that you're, it's a big, big war to get you off of uh, what you normally eat and to get you into eating nothing but vegan stuff that's all made by the GM and generally modified uh, industry for the, your vegetables and so on, because that's all you'll be able to afford eventually. It's just it's bringing you into this, uh, this ordained, you know, planned austerity. And they're already cutting back on meats and so on. I mean, they're too expensive to everybody to afford, except for the wealthy. And remember, too, I've read the articles, too, where uh, top uh, guys uh, who, who are all for the, the left greenies and all that have said they're going to bring in a, a vegan world. That's for all you lot, not for them. But see, they need the protein because, you see, they've got to attend all these meetings and, and do important stuff. You don't have to do the same kind of stuff as they do. And they always have big, lavish meals when they meet together. Or the people that, that are bringing in these dignitaries won't be impressed, you see. That's supposedly how it works. Anyway... They're going after the, the fish as well as the source of protein for you lot. Under, always, always under any excuse. They can, they can take anything away from you under any old excuse. Your freedoms are gone to save, you know, to save us all. Your protein is gone to save the world. Everything goes, you pay carbon taxes to save the world. Euro MPs back large-scale fishing reform to save the stocks. To save the stocks, you understand. So they put themselves in charge of the right to fish and who does and who can and who cannot and how much you can fish. They gave themselves that right. The European Parliament has voted for sweeping reforms of the controversial EU common fisheries policy. The package includes measures to protect endangered stocks and end discards. The practice of throwing unwanted dead fish into the sea. Actually, the reason they've been throwing in the sea is because the EU previously put out a, a law saying you don't really catch so much. Well, with fishing nets, you can't tell the fish how much to go in and how much to stay out of there, you see. So they had to discard the stuff to, to, to follow and obey the rules before they went back into port. So wasteful discards are reckoned to account for a quarter of total catches under the current quota system. It says there are hopes that the changes can become law next year after more talks with the 27 EU governments. So anyway, the MEPs, the European Parliament, voted for the package by 502 votes to 137. The Greens in Parliament called the, the vote historic, and spokesman Isabella Levin said it would finally put the EU's fishery policies on a sustainable footing, which means out of business. And a fishing alliance at Europesh says the reforms are all too sudden, too radical. With an estimated 75% of Europe's stocks overfished, there's been enormous public and media pressure over the last, the latest attempt to shake up the CFP. Actually, you see, they tell you things like that, like these are statements they make, estimate 75, who, who estimated 75% of Europe's stocks are overfished? You see, they give you no, and, and you understand this is how they do things to sway your opinion. And you're just part of, oh, there's 75% overfished, you know. They can do that with everything. They took all your freedoms away under, there's terrorists everywhere, everywhere, for goodness sake. Yeah. Yeah. This is how it's all run. Now, Facebook is said to create a mobile location tracking application, like they haven't been doing it all along, eh? And it says that, um, as developing smartphone application will track location of users, uh, two people with knowledge of the matter said, 
bolstering efforts to benefit from growing use of social media on mobile computers. The app scheduled for release mid-March is designed to help users find nearby friends and would run even when the program isn't open on a handset, said one of the people who asked not to be identified because the plans aren't public. Facebook is adding features to help it profit from the surging portion of its more than 1 billion users who access the service via handheld devices. The tracking app could help uh, Facebook sell ads based on users' whereabouts and daily habits. It may also raise the hackles of consumers and privacy advocates concerned about the company's handling of personal information. Well, it doesn't matter. Most folk don't care today about personal information. They're, they're gone. Look at them. Look at their eyes, for goodness sake. Hmm? I'd like to prepare a, a documentary. It says you won't look at food the same way again. Genetic roulette exposes the dirt behind bi- big biotech's big failed experiment. And it says the gamble of her lives, which is awarded top transformational film of 2012 by a war aware guild. More than 15,000 people from 50 countries voted for 30 films, including three on this year's Academy Award shortlist. But genetic roulette was a clear winner by a wide margin. So, and it's true enough, you won't get food the same way again. Now, part of Agenda 21, as I've mentioned before, and the Communist Manifesto, and those who still run, and they don't call themselves communists now, they have other names for themselves, although there's still one name that they always have. But anyway, it says here that um, in the Agenda 21 program, they'd have to eliminate private property. What they will do is eliminate private property for the individual, Whereas a company of guys who are in the business, generally, traditionally, in fact, of owning lots of property to rent, will be able to rent them out to you. And, and, for, and so on, that's how it's going. Home ownership falls to the lowest level since 1987, it says. And official figures reflect a large increase in renting in, in Britain, as elsewhere too, as it's locked out of home ownership amid the tough economy. And it says the vast majority of households are homeowners, making up 14.39 million, but at 65.3% of households, this is the lowest proportions recorded since the height of the popularity of Margaret Thatcher's right to buy policy, when council tenants were encouraged to buy their homes at discount. It says during the 1980s, the level of home ownership rose from 56.6% to 67%, but it went on to peak at 70.9% in 2003. But the rapid increase in the cost of property in the run-up to 2007, coupled with the subsequent reduction in the availability of credit, has priced millions of would-be buyers out of the market. Now, the con it was when Thatcher's age was, you understand, most of the houses in Britain at the time, especially all through the working cities, were actually council houses. Your grandpas had paid off those things to get built. All your tax money went into it. Generations of tax money went into build all these houses and towns and all the rest of it. And she, and and so she, so she sold them off to the people who were renting them, even though they were paid long ago by their ancestors. It was quite, quite a deal. I knew this, and I knew this would come down the road too once this all happens. And here it all is. So the English Housing Survey 2011 and 12, published today by the Department of Communities and Local Government, she also showed more households are renting their homes privately in England than living in social housing for the first time since the 1960s. So Agenda 21 is creeping along. Also in the U.S., like everything else, you know darn well all the massive cutbacks in the U.S. Postal Service, which is the only service, I think, that works properly. And um, and it's pretty efficient, but they've cut it back massively by closing down outlets and postal offices and, and staff cut them massively too. And you know they're going to privatize it along the road. And this article is about that. It's about how Amazon could save the U.S. Postal Service. 
and it actually talks about that, but also talks about the UPS, you know, and the other companies that they use, like FedEx, etc., how they could all get together and start being the carriers for all deliveries. I knew this was coming a long time ago, because everything's to be privatized, understand? And that's just how it is, folks. Even though, again, there's the taxpayers who funded it and set up all these post offices, their money went towards them to make it all happen. And now, in the U.S., there's no doubt about the Rockefeller family. Uh, it's one of the biggest families that was sent. The Rothschilds were sent to Britain, of course, with a few other ones to help them. And in the, in the States, they sent in the Rockefeller guys to uh, take over, again, the same old stories I've mentioned before, take over all the mineral resources, all the resources and everything else, and then start to be the parallel governments through their massive foundations and trillions of dollars that they dish out to non-governmental organizations. But it says here in this article, it says we're buying off evangelicals, mayors and governors for the earth, you see. In its 2010 review of grants extended from 2005-2010, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund admits to buying off quite literally so-called non-green voices, meaning people outside the environmental community, to sell man-made climate change doctrine to their respective communities. Since foundation dollars extended to support these non-green voices have grown dramatically, the RBF, that's the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation, has supported allied voices for climate action that include businesses, investors, evangelicals, farmers, sportsmen, labor, military leaders, national security hawks, veterans, youth, and governors and mayors. This is an actual admission by the Rockefeller Brothers Fund of sustaining, uh, of sustained funding for specific segments to promote the green cause. In the document, we read that both religious leaders and state local politicians have been subsidized into selling the myth of man-made global warming. The report goes on to say that uh, foundations, including the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation, have played, uh, played significant roles in building the capacity of these groups to organize their base members, communicate publicly about their interest in climate solutions, and advocate for policies that will address climate change domestically and internationally. In addition to its direct financial support of these individual groups, the fund has also provided technical assistance for strategic development, communications, planning, and advocacy training. Specifically mentioning the National Board of Governors as beneficiaries, we read, Governors and mayors have proven to be very effective advocates for climate change solutions domestically and internationally across America. States and localities are developing innovative climate programs and serving as laboratories for pioneering approaches. Many have launched climate initiatives in their cities and states and have seen the economic benefits of doing so, again, for themselves, the ones that launch them. The review also describes in some detail how the fund from 1984 onward had poured buckets load of cash into climate-changing propaganda efforts, including strengthening the implementation of Agenda 21, there you go, up to and exceeding the 1992 Air Summit. Two strategies underpinned this phase of grant-making, distilling consensus on climate change and moving the discussion of climate change from the scientific community into the policy arena. Now, that in the cusp, they call it institutionalized in this terminology. The RBF organized and funded some of the earliest meetings of advocates addressing climate change. It was also during this period the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change the IPCC was created in 1988 and formal international negotiations on a 
climate treaty began in 91. This culminated in Rio de Janeiro, June 92, with a UN Framework Convention on Climate Change that the first President Bush and the US Congress ratified. A review of correspondence between the then RBF President Bill Detail and program staff clearly indicates that the Rio negotiation and treaty and the creation of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change were specific aspirations of the RBF program at the time. Actually, the Rockefeller brothers uh, wrote up the draft and charted the treaty that Maurice Strong presented to them to sign. So you're run by private institutions. And as I say, it was, it was the Rothschilds that were sent across Europe to take over the countries via the banking systems and then you make policy from then on, and it was the Rockefellers that were sent into the States, along with other ones too, Carnegie and Johos, a few other ones as well, big foundations. But um, it's quite interesting too, because I was looking into their own site, the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation, and they've got the World Council of Churches as one of the biggest contributors of money to climate change now, and for indoctrinating children in schools and stuff. Now remember, it was old David Rockefeller that set up, old man Rockefeller set up the World Council of Churches to, number one, bring all the different factions, mainly of Protestant religions together, standardize the religion, put more of the Old Testament thing onto it, and so it was stopping to be Christian, now it's Judeo-Christian, and they promote more of the Old Testament stuff, which is mainly legalism. And then or standardize the Protestant religion and then they can be used much more easily with presidents like George Bush did and so on. And then you can fund them as well. So there's no opposing views on anything. They're all uh, on board with the same viewpoints and etc. etc. That's what they did. If you look at the history of the World Council of Churches. That's how easy it is. That's why all the Christians now, are, a lot of them are, are Zionist Christians, which is an oxymoron if you understand what... Uh, their founder actually said in the New Testament. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we are back, cutting through the matrix. Remember, the whole idea too is not just to destroy uh, anything that made you a culture which it definitely is a war for that. But it's everything within that culture, and, and also to do with anything called normalcy in every every possible way. I mean, young boys have always played with toy swords and things like that, and and, and but you can't be a, a good a young boy anymore. You're supposed to sit like little girls and just pay attention, and, and so on. Or they drug you, because that's out now, you see. It's the Pavlovian style. Uh, retrain you to be completely different than you are. They don't want men anymore, if you understand. They really don't. But it says here, a seven-year-old Mary Blair Elementary School student said he's confused about getting in trouble for trying to save the world from evil. Look at all these movies he watched, right? Through Thompson, though Thompson uh, school district officials contend the boy broke one of the school's absolutes. See, they've absolutes now. Oh, I'm kidding you. Parent Mandy Watkins said that Mary Blair Principal Valerie Lyra Black called her Friday afternoon to inform her her second grade son Alex had been suspended for throwing an imaginary grenade, an imaginary grenade during recess on the playground. No kidding. Alex did not have anything in his hand at the time and made no threats towards other people. 
and says, Watkins uh, said Alex's story matched up with the principal's account. He threw the pretend grenade at an imaginary box that had something evil inside. He was going to save the earth this way, and when he threw the grenade, he pretended that the box exploded in apparent success. He's very confused, Watkins told the reporter Herald on Tuesday. I'm confused as well, so it makes it hard for me to enforce these rules when I don't even understand them. The rules are laid out by Mary Blair Elementary School in a list of absolutes, as called, that are posted on the school's website and are aimed at making Mary Blair a safe environment. This is including those absolutes that are no physical abuse or fighting, real or, or play fighting, and the no weapons absolute also covers real or play weapons. District policy does not prohibit imaginary weapons, <laughs> but Superintendent Stan Shear says individual schools are permitted to add enhancements to the general student code of conduct. It fell under that set of local policy they have in the building, and it was shared with all parents in the community at the beginning of the year, Shear said. The district does not discuss disciplinary issues, but Shear said that there's more to the story than he was able to comment on. There's a whole student side that we just don't talk about, he said. It's a bit one-sided with the parents' point of view. Watkins said his son had been in trouble one other time at the school for accessing other students' reading accounts on the computer, but she's not been informed of him making threats or acting violently. According to Mary Blair's absolute procedure, a student is allowed two non-severe non-suspension occurrences, and a third occurrence leads to a formal suspension. Every absolute that's broken following the first suspension automatically results in a suspension. It's like a massive bureaucracy, isn't it? Even their terminology. Watkins is a meeting Wednesday with Lara Black and Paul Banks, Director of Elementary Education. And she's hoping to get suspension lifted and like the rule itself to be revised. It should be tossed straight out. Because, I mean, an imaginary grenade. And he's not throwing it. There's nobody in front of him or anything like this. What nonsense. What utter tripe. But you see, you can't be boys anymore. That's the big agenda. If you are going to be a boy, you've got to be like the one Poland's got. I had a miracle here in Poland. They're destroying the culture there. And they've got a leader up there in one of the political parties. Uh, they're calling a she, but it's actually a he that's had his Charlies removed, you know. I presume they're removed anyway. Uh, that's a new, new kind of male they want. If you know, it's very important, apparently, that's top of the list in the UN and everywhere else in politics, that this is a new type of male that's it's more responsible and, and more, you know, they've got more feelings, apparently, about society than anybody else. That's what they want. That's what they want, folks. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.